This is Healthcare Strategies. In today's digital age, access to care is critical. But is your care program reaching everyone? Lark is the leading artificial intelligent chronic disease prevention and management solution that engages users with a personalized, text-like experience for anytime, anywhere care. Plus, Lark supports a fast implementation, scalability, and low cost to help your business reach peak performance. Visit lark.com forward slash HPI for a free demo today. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Kelsey Waddell, Senior Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence and Multimedia Manager at Extelligent Healthcare Media. Employers recognize that they play a key role in financial well-being for their employees, and many also accept the responsibility for improving their employees' physical well-being. But what about social determinants of health? Do employers have a role to play in reducing barriers related to social determinants of health? And if so, what does it look like to take on that role effectively? I'm here today with Krista Marie Singleton, Chief Medical Officer at the Office of the Associate Director for Policy and Strategy at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, and Michael Thompson, President and Chief Executive Officer of the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions, or National Alliance, to discuss these questions further. To provide some context for this conversation, the CDC and National Alliance recently partnered on a year-long project called the Learning Collaborative, in which employers shared insights about how to identify social determinants of health that are impacting employees and how to start taking steps towards designing effective interventions. Dr. Singleton, Mike, thank you both for coming onto the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. So to start us off, I'd imagine that there are a couple of issues that you'd have to address up front when bringing employers into a conversation around social determinants of health before you can even get into the tangible action items. So, you know, one issue would be helping employers actually see that impact that they have on social determinants of health. And while many employers might even be aware that they can make a difference on SDOH, the return on investment is unclear and often presents a barrier to them actually doing something about it. So, Mike, I want to start with you on this one. How would you characterize the influence that employers have over employees' social determinants of health to an employer who might not actually be aware of their role in this area? And what are the overarching benefits of addressing social determinants of health in employee populations? Kelsey, you really are asking a a fundamental question, and, and you alluded to some of the issues in your discussion of the question, right? So a lot of employers will will start with an orientation of social determinants of health are more social issues more than they're my issues, right? They're gonna start with that orientation saying, it's gonna be difficult for me as a single employer in a community or in many communities across the country to own what are otherwise big social issues, poverty, social justice, et cetera. However, what I think we've learned in the context of our learning collaborative is there's a better way to think about this. And it's, it's to step back from social determinants and think more in terms of social needs and social risks. And social needs and social risks really directly affect the employees and the families that are covered and supported and employed by the employer. And it's there where that common ground really starts to pop. And it turns out that if an employer has enough employees with common needs in an area, they can, in fact, in their mind, find a way to justify investing in those areas. 
And those investments in some cases may only benefit those employees, but in other instances, it may have broader implications for the community at large. And I think that is where uh, a, a key part of the engagement process and key learning from our learning collaboratives is. When we're talking about employees and their families, it's easier to get people engaged and leaning in. If we're talking about something that isn't about that employer per se, it becomes more of a community relations issue and less of a, a health and well-being strategy. I would echo what Mike is saying. We definitely saw the employers lean into this topic of social determinants when it was broken down a little bit closer to home with the topic of social needs and social risk factors. But one of the things that I would offer in this bigger picture is that we at CDC and our partners at Health and Human Services have this larger framework about social determinants of health where we have five pillars, economic stability, the built environment, social cohesion, access to healthcare and education. So as Mike is saying, employers may say, well, what do I have to do with any of that? Well, pull down the economic stability piece of that. The economic component is largely driven by employment and work. And our colleagues at the University of Michigan have shown that this concept of work impacts the performance of the employee, then this social need and social determinant of work then impacts performance and morale, which then links to poor health outcomes. And so this can drive up the cost of care that over half of the country gets their insurance and their access to health care from the employer. So the employer really does have an outsized influence on this process. Thank you. And I know that another issue that sort of came up in the collaborative was about tackling employers' gaps in knowledge about the social determinants of health that their employees are facing. Once they accept that responsibility and receive that responsibility, then the next step, figuring out what exactly are their employees facing, can actually be pretty difficult to assess. Dr. Singleton, could you talk a little bit about what are some of the barriers that employers come up against that prevent them from gaining a better understanding or a more accurate understanding of the social determinants of health challenges that their employees are facing? Sure. So as Mike mentioned, you know, these broader topics sometimes seem a bit abstract to them, but I will offer that the pandemic really kind of blew this into full focus for several employers and employers wanted to start to look and lean into what might their employees be experiencing through this process. And they shared with their experience that they realized, well, I may know the number of employees I have. I might know the salary bands of my employees. I might know where my employees live in terms of their home address. But outside of that, they started to scratch their heads a bit and say, well, I'm not sure what data do I need? How do I participate in a project like this? But in this process, we shared with them that if you take just see even those basic concepts of numbers of employees and the salary bands and where they live, and you partner with partners who can layer educational and economic and housing access and food access and this community data from the communities where their employees live, work, or travel, then the employers realize there's additional data sources that can actually help them better understand and appreciate their social needs. And this partnership and this pilot showed them when you overlay your community's data with your own employee data, then you now have some really concrete steps that are still within the employer's window that they can help to address some of these needs. I would also add employers collect a lot of data on their employees, but they don't necessarily collect some of this data. In some instances, they're not even using some of the data they have. You know, they have data typically on race. They certainly have data on incomes earned at that employer. So they have ways to look at their data more effectively. 
But what we found is they were very comfortable extrapolating from demographic data that mapped into communities and using that as an early step to identify where they should look further and what they should explore further. And I think that was very empowering. It wasn't intuitive to them to do so, but once they were kind of educated and we helped to connect the dots on how to do it and supported them on that, now they had information to give them better direction on what might be relevant and where they might want to engage more actively. Great, yeah. And kind of along those lines of figuring out the next step of engaging more actively. I know that's not actually something that the collaborative dove into as specifically. Obviously, that would require a unique approach for every employer who has a different set of employees, different geographies, broad or small. But without mentioning names, Mike, I was wondering if you could talk about the strategies that you did see employers implementing in order to address employees' social determinants of health barriers, or you know, talking about what next steps employers are at least looking at as they begin this process, which is still pretty new in the industry. You know, and even within the employers that we worked with, there was variation in terms of the degree that people were ready, leaning in, really willing to tackle complex issues on behalf of their employees and locations. And specifically thinking uh, more broadly than maybe what is the usual sphere of influence that they might have, you know, the benefit plans or the programs that are offered by the company, right? The best practice, I think, is when people had that ownership at the top where leadership truly did want to make a difference and they were willing to think more broadly about how that might be. But importantly was that leadership from the middle management that sponsored the information and engagement with location leadership and others that helped to inform what might we do to do that and and to do it together with those organizations. And what was really incredible is when that happened, it really gelled where the management was better informed uh, intuitively about what some of the issues might be in their locations. Oftentimes it's in rural locations or inner city locations that may not be where all their employees are, but for those pockets of employees, these are very serious issues and there's a great opportunity to invest and do so in a meaningful way. And then they got creative out of the box, looking at things like transportation and food deserts and others and what they potentially could do to fill some of those gaps by being more proactive and looking at that more actively. What you find, I think, in organizations like that is they're not looking at this as a project. They're looking at this as a new way they want to start thinking about how they operate as an organization. You know, they they truly value their employees. They truly want to be a leader in their communities, and they truly want to make a difference that benefits the broader community. And with that type of leadership and that level of engagement and breaking down the silos, you're actually seeing some investment and some solutions that heretofore would not have been considered without a disciplined process of engagement. Sure, and I would add to that, and we also saw, you know, some of the employers have the aha moment. It seems intuitive that one would get the voice of the customer, in this case, the voice of the employee. But in this project, again, when they started with their own internal data and then the overlay of the community data, then a couple of them had like a really aha moment of bringing in their employee resource groups and then maybe shifting some of their benefits around and some of just the way they frame things. So an example would be one of the employers happened to notice a need for a changing in healthcare access. And so they had planned, pandemic related, to have a particular 
resource delivered in particular language. Well, they recognize this process just going to a baseline translation didn't fit with the employee needs because there was a particular dialect of that language that the employer group had. So then now, because of the feedback from the employees, a shift in benefit happened. And now you have uptake because sometimes the employers will say, well, sure, I'll try a benefit. I'll try a change. But then I worry about the uptake. Well, when you bring the voice of the customer, in this case, the voice of the employee to the table, now you have uptake. You have better chance of uptake. You have a better chance of employee satisfaction, which all goes back to, again, that improving morale, improving performance, improving better health outcomes for that workforce. That's a great point. Thank you. And you know, both of you have brought up this earlier in the conversation, the idea of layering and community data. And of course, you know, partnership, it seems like would be at the core of any of these efforts. Employers can't just do this on their own. They need that holistic vision of the employees and of their status. And so Dr. Singleton, I know you've engaged with payers in the past, employers, and obviously yourself are a provider. And so I was wondering what advice you would offer to payers, employers, and providers about how they can collaborate together to better address SDOH among employees, and also what other partners should be brought into this conversation that might make these efforts more effective. Sure. So one of the first things that I would offer that employees might want to consider, sometimes the employers that were part of this group made the thought process that, well, my employees have a job, so therefore they might not have as much of a need. And this project demonstrated a recognition that employment itself is not an indicator solely of economic stability. And so when one adds on community data to this component, it provides additional opportunities for employers to see that additional context. So one of the employers in particular, I distinctly remember hearing her say, better data translates to more knowledge, which translates into the ability to better identify where we can find available resources for our workforce. So first, recognize that just because your employees come to work every day and are receiving a paycheck does not mean that they have total stability into some of these needs. So that's one recognition we would offer. The second recognition we would offer from this project is that one of the data partners that's sitting right in their backyard are your local and state health departments because we, that public health community, have a direct alignment to some of these resources that can help collect, analyze, and provide that community data lens for employers in their respective communities. In this project, we had a varied way of looking at that community data. We had a great partner who came in and helped do some of that community layering. Some of the employers opted to use publicly available data from within their local jurisdiction. Another one purchased the data, but again, having that community context. So you do have partners, if you're an employer, right at your fingertips. A third one might be their local United Way. In this project, we partnered with them and they showed us how community well-being indices can be used to help employers make more effective decisions about the health and well benefits that truly match the social needs of their workforce. You know, I'll just add in who the right partners are on this is probably not new. There's multiple people with a vested interest in addressing social determinants, social needs in communities and employers, and public health is right up at the top. They are the key leaders in any community in this area. I think one of the insights, though, is how to do that, how to work together, because I think sometimes they speak different languages with different mindsets, and the translation is part of the secret sauce 
to actually help to keep it relevant for both audiences and, and to move together uniformly, building off each other's strengths, but respecting each other's differences in the process. And that's a little bit of a learning process. But I think what we learned in the process is that done correctly, you can keep people there and get them engaged and moving forward constructively to make a difference. And that's important. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great point. And the common language, I think, is something that the industry as a whole is learning right now about how to talk between these different previously siloed spaces. And so this is not new probably for many employers, but I'm sure that's still a tricky item to work through. So looking to the future a bit here, this last question is for both of you, and I know it's a big one, but I just wanted to know what you envision when you envision the future of social determinants of health efforts in the employer-sponsored space. What are some of the key advancements that you're looking to see occur in the next, let's say, few years? Mike, let's start this one with you. You know, for me, this is a great down payment, but it's really early stage in making the type of progress that's needed and the level of collaboration moving forward. I think what it is indicative, though, of is really a cultural change in mindset on how to think about health and well-being and community strategies. And those three are totally intertwined. We speak of the issues around total person health, understanding physical, mental health, but also the social needs and social risks associated with those individuals, and investing simultaneously, knowing that those are interrelated. You're sub-optimizing your strategy if you're only looking at one. I also think part of this is kind of breaking down those broader silos and thinking with a broader lens around health equity and equity more broadly. Not, you know, we treat everybody the same. And that's kind of the history, right? You know, we're fair to our employees because we treat everybody the same. And realizing we don't treat everybody the same. We actually invest more where there's greater need. And that's not a bad thing. That's the right thing. That's a smart thing to do. That's the smart business thing to do. And I think the third thing I would just finally say is this sounds like people are investing to do the right thing, but I think they're investing to do the smart thing. They're investing to do the thing that will reinforce who they are as an organization and will ultimately pay dividends in so many different ways, including health and healthcare costs, but in many ways too. That's the aha. And many times the people that we deal with can't see that broader picture, this will open up that broader picture. And I think that's really encouraging and exciting. If I were thinking of probably three spaces, well, I mentioned the first one, what I would welcome to see is again, employers really elevating the voice of the customer. And in this case, the employee to help them determine what's value, what's thriving. Because a key second point after that would be looking at this whole community the employer, the employee, the community, and thinking about it as a place where we can be almost competitive with each other in terms of improving health competitiveness. One of our colleagues at the DeBowman Institute that helped inform some of this work, they had this publication called Good Health is Good Business. And one of the quotes from that document that has been driving my thinking on this is, is our community thriving, healthy, inspiring, and attractive to blossoming talent? Or is our community perceived as being deteriorating, sick, and unsafe? And so this type of work jointly between the employer, the employee, and the community can help bring together a blossoming, healthy, competitive community so that that healthy community is a good value for everyone, so that the work site and the community are healthy places that inspire and blossom talent. That's what I would hope would happen from projects like this. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for your insights, for contributing today and for coming on to Healthcare Strategies. Thank you. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to me at kwadil at extelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any health industry related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thank you for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.